from MPB Think Radio. This is Southern Remedy for Women, the show about addressing issues of health and wellness from a woman's perspective. Hi, I'm Dr. Allie Brown. I'm a surgical pathologist. I'm here today with my co-host, Dr. Michelle Owens, who is an OBGYN with specialization in maternal fetal medicine. Our special guest today is Dr. Joe Pressler. He is a pulmonology and critical care physician at Greenwood LaFleur Hospital here in Greenwood, Mississippi. Have you known anyone recently that has a cough or a wheeze? I feel like everybody does. We're going to talk all about things about lungs, respiratory health, what's going on with flu season, anything you guys want to call and talk about. Share your comments and experiences with us this morning by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 This is Southern Remedy for Women from MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Southern Remedy for Women here on MPB Think Radio. That was a long intro with music. It was really adding suspense. I was getting really fired up. Right? Suspense. I mean, it was like, when will she start talking? There it is. I am back here with my trusty co-host, as you can hear, Dr. Michelle Owens. How are What's you doing up, today? Y'all? Doing great. And I'm having a wonderful day. I can tell you seem very happy, and that makes me happy. I am, Spread joy. You're having a wonderful day. You're sparking joy. Yeah, and since you guys said that me be look, since you what? said that me giving up carbs is going to make me cranky. All right. Owens I is trying to give up carbs. I am happy. I didn't say it's going to make you cranky. I think it's going to make you feel better. Our, our esteemed guest here in the studio, Dr. Joe Pressler, made it implied crankiness. Short-term short crankiness. It's better for you. Short Are time. you on the radio, Jack? I can't. Oh, there you go. He's back. Yeah, you're up there. We want to hear everything you say, dude. Get up to the mic. <laughs> <laughs> so Dr. Pressler is uh, someone who's been with us in the past. He's one of our favorite guests. He's talking today all about the lungs. The lungs. He's a specialist in pulmonary and critical care medicine. He's at Greenwood LaFleur Hospital. That's right. Up Trained in the Delta here, now. though, at, at UMC, the um, local Mississippian, right? Yeah, I was here for 15, yeah, 15 years of my life in Jackson before I got up to Greenwood. Yeah. Fantastic. It was like 15 awesome years, because like during probably about 12 or 13 of those, like we were friends. So yeah, that's, yeah, that's like right. still Got to meet some really good people okay. who I still know and love. And Dr. Pressler took good care of my dad. I've worked with him in the past. He's an A-plus doctor. I Indeed. Can't, I can't be more enthusiastic. I'm actually a little, I'm a little bummed, because now, because I, I, I have a pulmonology question. And I did not have Dr. Pressler to call today, oh. which is part of the reason why I was busting it to get well, here. You call I have, yeah, I had um, a patient who I was taking care of, and I really need my pulmonary colleagues. It's and um, yeah, breathing so, is important. You can always call. I'm always there for you, Michelle. I just want to put the number out there. It is one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four or one eight seven seven MPB ring. You can also call um, email us at women at MPB online. Dot org. If you if you can't hear, I am actually having trouble breathing. <laughs> but so when we're yeah, talking about lung health, yes. I thought it was a good time because it just seems like everyone has this crud. I everyone fixed has you this cough. and you went out and broke yourself again. <laughs> That's right. I can't stop getting sick. I have little kids. Yeah, and see, after all this time, this is like when I this is the time when I find out that you have asthma. 
Right. Well, it usually doesn't bother me so much. So we can talk about asthma. There are all sorts of issues to talk about. But the other piece I think is, um, you know, for people who do have um, asthma, there are lots of different things that can be triggers. Mm -hmm. And so for some people, cold is a trigger. I've had patients who've said that cold triggers. Like just the temperature. temperature. Yes, Mm -hmm. exactly. So like as it, so they have more symptoms in the wintertime. You know, you typically Mm -hmm. think of, oh, the... Um, like hay fever or pollen or some of those other things that might be triggers for respiratory issues. But um, that was one of the things I always thought was very fascinating when I had patients who were like, oh, no, if it's if if it's really cold air, Frequently, um, like running outside in the yeah, cold, that like, they would ugh. that that was a trigger for them. Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, and everybody's different and everybody responds to you know, stimuli in the in their environment differently. And um, that's that's what you have to learn when you have a, a chronic disease like that is what are my triggers? Mm-hmm. Well, you think about the lungs job or part of the job of the respiratory system is to warm up the air and moisten it. So this cold, dry air can can't be too friendly for your your respiratory tract. That's right. right. It's it, between the cold and dry air uh, in the winter or pollen season. It's also to to keep out the irritants, uh, keep your lungs and 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 the filters. It's a filter. Mm-hmm. Uh, keep everything clean. So uh, yeah, you know, we, I can't remember who it was, but we had a caller who had called in um, not too long ago and shared with us um, the importance of. When you said filters, it made me think this whole like having somebody professionally clean out the ducts and oh, making yeah. sure. Yeah, because like I was like, oh, filters. you mean like changing your filters? And you're just like, no, like for people to actually go and have a professional cleaning crew to come and clean out your ducts and how um, how that could help, you know, improve the air quality the and all those things units, in your home. Yeah. Because you would, you know, and, and so I buy filters for my home sometimes. That's not one of the things that has been relegated to my husband. It is not a husband duty. It's one of those that that either one of us can do. And so now, um, although I will say that when I'm on that aisle, overwhelmingly, there are more men. So whenever I see a woman who's walking so down that aisle, me, guys. <laughs> I shut up. But so when I'm buying the filters, I'm like, Wow. And so then I start, I get caught up in the details, right? So they're like the super ultra filtration mm, ones. They're some expensive so ones, yeah. They, yeah. So they do go up in cost, but I always, I'm fascinated. I'm like, so do I need the one that, like, is it the large particles? Is it the micro particles? Is it, I mean, and how it, often do you do this? Dude, so I How usually often spend, should you change your filters in your, uh, uh, every, every quarter, every three months? Yeah. Bam. If you, and if you do it that often to me, see, I'm a big picture guy. All those little oh, details, I'm a big picture. If the you're doing it, if you're doing says. it correctly every three months, then you know what, then what it filter really does it really, really matter? I, I, I oh, don't know because every now and then I think some little micro thing might get in there, yeah. and you don't want it hanging around, potentially irritating for a whole three months yeah. before yeah. you circulating through your house <laughs> over and over. Yeah. So anyway, anyway. Uh, but but this so but the concept of like you know what kind of filter you use and um, how that contributes to because my I have little people who are more sensitive to irritants in the environment they have different types of allergies and it seems like every year we uncover something new and so I was you know then I, then you have the mommy thing so I only do this I know it's supposed to happen every every quarter. I get to go like once a year because I spend so much time on that filter aisle trying to figure out which one to buy that my husband's like, yeah, no, you're not doing that anymore. I'm going to do it. Um, so, um, 
but I, I do think it's really interesting. And I do remember um, our, our listener who called in and shared that little bit of information, which is really great. Um, so we've already got a caller on the line. And so um, we actually we're in the process. Uh, we're in the process of uh, getting a call on the line. So we have a few more lines open. I'd like to give the phone number out for those of you who are jealous of our person who's on the line. Uh, that number is one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. That's one eight seven seven MPB ring. Uh, for those of you who'd like to use the letters rather than the numbers. Um, that being said, we are going to go to our first caller of the hour and hear from Becky, who's calling us from Mobile. Good morning, Becky. Hey. I would like to hear what the doctor knows about pulmonary fibrosis. I was diagnosed with it in 2017, and it answers a lot of questions I've had. I've had respiratory issues all my life. I had whooping cough when I was three. And so this answers the questions, but I would like to hear what he knows about pulmonary fibrosis because I'm at a stage in my life where I'm doing some preventive things to maintain some sense of health in my life. Okay. Uh, so, Becky, what uh, pulmonary fibrosis is basically a type of lung disease where um, the the lung tissue fibrosis, meaning it, it just gets stiff, and I can... I can let my uh, my colleague, who's a pathologist across from me, describe that uh, microscopically. But basically what happens is is the lung tissue gets stiff. Uh, it's not compliant like it uh, normally is. Um, and the typical symptoms of pulmonary fibrosis are uh, increased shortness of breath and a dry cough. Um, there are... Uh, lots of, of chronic disease processes that can cause uh, pulmonary fibrosis, and, and some of them uh, are exposures to um, uh, different toxic elements that you breathe over, over the course of your life or depending on, um, on what kind of exposures that you have that maybe your body uh, f- has a reaction to that winds up damaging the lung tissue. And then there's what we call idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, which is, uh, I would say, probably the most common type um, that that we see in, in our clinic. And idiopathic just means we don't have a reason. We don't know the reason why the fibrosis um, develops in the first place. Uh, and typically uh, what we see with those patients is it's, uh, maybe early to mid sixties, um, who, as we said before, just start to develop a uh, slowly increasing uh, shortness of breath, uh, aren't able to do quite what they used to be able to do. But the the typical feature that we see that really brings people in is this just dry cough that they can't shake, and it it sticks with them for for long enough that they start to go, uh, they they start to look out, uh, look into what's going on reach out to their doctors and, and look for answers. So Becky's talking about preventative and trying to stay healthy. Oh, I, I, I just, from what I know about the, the entity, it, it's not something that necessarily can be cured. Right. It, it's not curable and honestly, not necessarily preventable either. Uh, and that's, that's kind of the tricky part about it is, is because it's idiopathic. We don't know necessarily what causes it, or we don't know what the irritant for that person is. Um, and, you know, it's hard to prevent something that you don't know what the cause is in the first place. Um, in general, uh, you know, my 
my mantra is protect your lungs. And, and the biggest thing that we talk about uh, as, as lung doctors and protecting your lungs is, um, is, is don't smoke and, and stay away from uh, toxic uh, inhalational substances. Now, the smoking does not cause pulmonary fibrosis. That is a completely different process uh, than, than what we think of as, as smokers' lung disease. Um, but uh, unfortunately, kind of to refer back to what we were talking about earlier, the filters, you know, the lungs are a filter, but you can't just change the filter out and you can't just clean it out. And there's really no good way to clean the lungs out. So what you have to do is, is preventatively you have to protect your lungs uh, on the front end, and once again, for for pulmonary fibrosis, for for Becky, it's just it's an unfortunate disease process that there's um, uh, it's, there's nothing that you can necessarily do to prevent it from coming on. There's nothing that uh, that she did or, the, or or an exposure likely that that uh, caused this in the first place, um, and it's it's just an unfortunate disease sometimes. So what kind of so is there good news about treatment for this type of lung disease? So there have been uh, over the last five to ten years there have been some new drugs that uh, that are aimed at um, decreasing the progression of the fibrosis and um, there's unfortunately not a whole lot uh, that we can do for it. Um, once lung is fibrosed, it's fibrosed. There's no reversal to it. There's it's like no, a scar kind it's of. It's a right? scar. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, and there's nothing you can do to to reverse it, uh, but you can hopefully slow the progression down with some of these medications. And then uh, the the biggest treatment is just depending on um, uh, depending on how functional the patient is, and age, and a lot of other. Um, Kind of categories that you can look into lung transplant uh, transplant is uh, is kind of the the treatment uh, if the patient fits the the categories and if it gets severe enough um, it, just like we don't know what causes it not and we talked about this earlier uh, off the air every patient is different and every disease process is different even though we have the textbook uh, this is what happens every person and every patient responds to their environment differently and some pulmonary fibrosis uh, rapidly worsens and and some is slow to progress and kind of stalls on its own. Well, Becky, is that similar to what you've heard from your healthcare providers? Yes, it's very it's along the same lines and I'm I'm at a stage I'm age I'm 78 years old now and I've had a full life and I know that and I'm thankful for what I've got for what I don't have. Uh, from what I've been told here in Mobile and up in Birmingham at the Kirkland Clinic, is I appear to be at the beginning stages of it. Yes, ma'am, and, and you know I know some some good pulmonologists down there in Mobile that maybe you've seen, uh, and and definitely Birmingham uh, has has a good team of uh, of physicians there as well. Um, how how limited has it has it made you in your life and and how you how you function daily life? Well, I'm no longer able to get out and. Uh, work with my plants outside because of the humidity in the summertime and the heat. Um, so I'm, I have some restrictions and limitations, but I'm doing what I can to go on with my life and make it as full as I can. I'm doing some preventative things. I've been involved recently in a pulmonary rehab um, program at one of the local hospitals, and I find that the socialization uh, with people who have 
these kinds of issues is a very important factor in my day-to-day life right now. That's a great point. It, it really is uh, finding people who, who kind of fit in your category and that, that you can bounce things off of. And, you know, pulmonary rehab, for those that don't know about it, um, and and you may have found this. I'd be interested to see if, if you find differently. But uh, pulmonary rehab, it to me, the name is a, a little misleading. It's not really a rehabilitation. Like we said, we can't really uh, reverse the effects of, of the pulmonary fibrosis. But I think what that does is it kind of helps you to learn and helps to teach you your body better and what you can do and what you can't do and, and basically help you to, to cope socially and um, mentally and emotionally with your limitations. I agree with that. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for willing, be willing, being willing to talk about this today. I think there are a lot of people who have this um, issue that maybe have not been diagnosed with it yet. From what I understand, a lot of doctors don't really understand very much about it. Well, you know, and and I'll just I'll be completely honest with you. Doctors don't like to talk about stuff that they don't understand, and we we like to uh, just in general, you know. People come to us for answers, and we feel like we're always supposed to have them, and we don't always have them. Uh, and and for um, you know for a disease process like this where we can't put our finger on exactly what happened, uh, it's hard to admit that sometimes. So, yeah. um, but and it I'm, can I'm be glad frustrating you... to patients yeah, too, absolutely. because I mean that's what you want. You want to an answer, and you want to know how to fix it. Yep. Yeah. Well, Becky, thanks so much for your call Thank and you, for Becky. highlighting something that um, I'm sure many people struggle with. And it looks like some of the doctors are struggling with, too. Um, we're going to go ahead and take our first break of the hour. Um, but we are talking about the lungs. Um, this is Southern Remedy for Women. And we will be right back after this short break. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And we're back. This is Sunday Remedy for Women, the show all about addressing issues of health and wellness from a woman's perspective. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Owens, and my co-host, Dr. Allie Brown. We are here live in the studio with our good friend, colleague, and one of our favorite guests. If you are listening and you are also one of our guests, you're one of our favorites, too. Um, Dr. Joe Pressler. Dr. Joe Pressler, who is formerly of Jackson, Mississippi, and has now moved on to bigger and better things <laughs> in, the in the Delta, fertile yeah. soil of the Mississippi Delta. He's helping our Delta patients. Can, exactly. Can you, is it possible to blush on air? You're making me blush. <laughs> So yeah, Dr. Joe Pressler, who is a pulmonologist, if you are just tuning in, we are talking about the lungs, all things respiratory, pulmonary, all of those things. Um, And we are so glad that we were able to lure Dr. Pressler back down here to Jackson um, because he has been doing some phenomenal work um, helping to kind of, I guess, uh, bring his specialty um, to uh, the Mississippi Delta and to help some of the folks who are up there. So we are glad to have you. And um, 
I wanted to go back. So if you're just tuning in, we just had a, a wonderful um, little mini med school lesson on pulmonary fibrosis, um, which was uh, brought up by one of our callers who called from Mobile. And one of the things that she mentioned also, in addition to apparently being a very active and healthy and engaged 78-year-old person, was that she had whooping cough when she was uh, three years old. And so when she said that, I immediately was like, ah, whooping cough. This is kind of one of the one of the opportunities for Owens to throw in her shameless plug that kind of brings this thing back. So um, it it wasn't the focus of her of her comment or her question. But I think it's just something that I wanted to throw out there because um, we are starting to see as in for people who kind of follow the the public health things, um, the resurgence of some. Um, infections and uh, some diseases that um, are actually preventable primarily through vaccination. And so um, pertussis is one of those things. Whooping cough is pertussis. Um, It is actually a bacterial infection. So this is um, it's a bacterial infection that is spread basically through the air. So it's by a cough or a sneeze from a, a person who's infected. And the reason that I, I'm throwing this out, um, and Eric, I'm looking at you um, on the line. I'm going to finish my thought, and then we're going to go straight to your call. Um, but I wanted to throw this out because as an OBGYN, it is one of the recommended uh, vaccinations for pregnant women. And the reason that it's recommended, it's recommended um, for every pregnant woman at um, 28 weeks uh, gestation. And the point is the passive immunity. So you vaccinate the mom. And I have to tell people, I tell them, this is your baby's first vaccine. So we are vaccinating the mother in order to provide protection for the baby until the point in time comes that that um, the babies can receive the vaccines and themselves build up the immunity to be able to fight off um, the bacteria. The reason that it matters is because for adults like us, um, it's just a cold. It's not a really big issue for most of us who have an intact immune system. Um, this is not something that we notice. We might have a fever. We might feel a little lousy. Um, but it comes across as a cold. But um, we're seeing numbers rise in Mississippi for pertussis cases. And there have even been deaths. And so it's just one of those things um, I I at least provide that information to my patients. I recommend the vaccination for my patients. And I just wanted to make sure that everybody else out there knows. Um, One of the other recommendations from the CDC is that you do what's called cocooning. So the uh, additional recommendation would be that in addition to, you know, vaccinating mom to provide the passive immunity for the baby during the time that the baby's not able to make their own antibodies and until they're able to be vaccinated, that you also vaccinate the people who are who are going to be in close proximity to or close to the baby. So um, that's always, I'm always surprised when we give information out to women in advance of their vaccine before. So it's not like we come in with a shot saying, hey, take this and here's an informational pamphlet. We give them information so they have time to digest it and think about it. Um, And so I just wanted to make sure that we gave people an opportunity 
to kind of hear something that's going on in Mississippi, what's happening with these little babies. Again, it can be a life-threatening illness for, for young babies when they are exposed to pertussis, um, which, again, we all know is whooping cough. So I just wanted to throw that out there because when, when Becky said that, I was like, oh, that's something to talk about. Um, so as promised, we are going to now move to um, our phone lines. Uh, again, guys, that number is one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We do have some phone lines that are open. And now we're going to hear from Eric, who is calling from Hazelhurst. How are things going in Kapod County, Eric? It's going good as far as I know. <laughs> so what's your question? Um. Well, a uh, little background, uh, I smoked for 30 years, and I've been three months now smoke-free. Congratulations, Eric. Uh, thank you. And it's because of the Blue Cross, Blue Shield, free uh, quit now act, or I forgot what it's called, but they helped me stop. And uh, the whole, when I stopped, I started doing the non-nicotine vaping, and uh, one day I was filling up my cartridge with a liquid, and I thought, I'm introducing, instead of introducing toxins into my lungs, I am now introducing vapor into my lungs, which is liquid vapor. Is there, uh, would that lead to um, uh, being more sick, uh, possible uh exposure to like uh, pneumonia or yeah eric something like that so very 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 proud of you for quitting smoking um don't want to be yeah don't want to be the debbie downer but (laughs) but the vaping is is not a whole lot better okay um and oh yes i I stopped that too yeah, yeah yeah and so and and i think that's good information to kind of pass along to everybody that the nicotine that's in in cigarettes and cigars and tobacco is probably the least harmful issue about smoking and and uh that's that's just what gets you hooked is the nicotine but uh it's all the other substances and so kind of leading i'm not sure if you were listening to the first part of it but you know this is this is preventative medicine and this is kind of taking care of your car and getting your oil changed and all these things it is preventing anything any kind of uh uh, irritant to the lungs, the lung tissue, the lung airways, uh, the mouth, head, neck, all those areas. When they get exposed to any kind of irritant that's uh, that's not natural, that's what causes problems. And so, uh, so anything like that is going to uh, affect the way the lung functions. And as the lung doesn't function as well as it had in the past, then it's going to predispose you to infections, as you were saying. Okay. So, so you stopped vaping. That's good. Uh, yes, I was a I was a combat medic in the military, and I've had to deal with uh, uh, fellow soldiers with colds and stuff like that. And that's what made me realize that I'm now introducing liquid into my lungs. Absolutely, yeah. It's uh, anything, and I tell I tell very very simplified uh, version of that. I told uh, my my daughters. Um, fifth grade class last week, uh, you know, anything God didn't put in your body naturally or that doesn't naturally grow, anything that you do that, that is not along those lines is going to be harmful. And, uh, you know, yeah. you can simplify it like that. Uh, but, but basically, you know, nothing really is supposed to go in our lungs except oxygen. 
Uh, and that you know that goes for just natural smoke, anything. That's that's why we cough whenever we uh, whenever we're around these uh, these irritants, and and why you, we recommend even wearing mask if you're if you're doing something as simple as is cutting your grass or uh, for our mechanics or any kind of uh, any kind of activity that you do that exposes your lungs and your airways to um, to, to something that will irritate it. Yeah. And dust, dust too. Dust. I wear a mask when I dust. You don't dust. I do too dust. <laughs> when she changes her filters. I right. totally dust. But anyway, Eric, thanks so much for your call and for bringing up something that's um, a really, it actually is pretty popular, the whole vaping thing. It, it is. And uh, first of all, I thank you for, for bringing that up. Congratulations again uh, for for stopping smoking. And what I what I want to, to ask you to do now next is talk to your, doc, uh, your doctor about um, lung cancer screening. You told me that you smoked for 30 years, and if you smoke for an average of one pack a day for 30 years, then then you, uh, if you're between the ages of 55 and 78, you qualify for lung cancer screening, which would be an annual uh, low-dose CAT scan to, to make sure that nothing's kind of creeping up on your lungs. The VA is offering that also for free for me. That's perfect. So uh, it you know was picked up by Medicaid, Medicare, and then after that, pretty much most insurance companies have followed suit. And uh, so take advantage of it. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah, awesome. Well, um, we are about to take our second break of the hour. We have um, one caller on the line. If you will stay online, oh, this is one of my real patient ones. Looking forward to it. Um, we are going to go ahead and take our next break, and we will be back. Sue, I see you, and you're going to be right up next after this short break. We'll be back with Southern Remedy for Women. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And thanks for listening. We're back at Southern Remedy for Women, and we are talking about lungs. I started oh. to say pulmonary. Well, See, I, I was trying to build up suspense. That, I thought that, that was dramatic pause. Yeah, it you was. Should, that you too. Go with it. So we're talking about lungs. We have our our special guest expert today is Dr. Joe Pressler, who is a pulmonologist uh, who works in Greenwood. I sometimes get those mixed up: Greenwood, Greenville. Sometimes I say Greenwoodville because. What? Sometimes difficult to. I know they're not. They're not really close together, but you know, well, they both start with green, and they're they're both in Delta, Delta towns. Mm-hmm. Very nice Delta towns. And and I've been to both, and I love them both for different reasons. You're from Alabama. What? Yeah, I am. What's the, <laughs> I'm sorry. Anywho, so we're glad to have you here, and um, it's always it's always fun yes. when when Dr. Pressler's in with us. But we have been talking about all kinds of things related to the lungs. And so, as promised, we are going to go and hear from one of our callers who we didn't even get a chance to hear from last week when they called, um, Sue, who's calling in from Beaumont. Good morning, Sue. Good morning. How are you? 
I'd like to make some comments about smoking. Of course. As, as a retired nurse, I worked on a respiratory unit for years. This is what I noticed. Be, smoking is a comforting thing. It's an oral fixation. It's a comforting thing to have something in your mouth. And when people stop smoking, they replace it sometimes with other destructive habits like overeating or smoke or drinking or something like that. Have you noticed that? Um. I will say, uh, for you make very, very, very good points. So uh, it is not just um, a physical addiction uh, from the nicotine, but it is also um, that it's a social addiction in certain ways. And there are it's it's a habit. Um, it, and like you said, it is very comforting. And that's why. Um, so we'll kind of we'll, broadly we'll talk about this. So that's why when uh, the state of Mississippi actually. Uh, runs the smoking cessation clinics that uh, I believe Dr. Payne was was here last mm-hmm. week speaking about, and it is and has been uh, due to the tobacco uh, lawsuit money years ago, uh, free to all um, residents of the state of Mississippi, and uh, they also offer free to the residents uh, any medications, so Chantix and nicotine patches and anything that. Uh, pharmacologically can help uh, with those addictions. But the key to that is they also uh, require that you come in for uh, therapy-type sessions and and to discuss uh, the social aspects of this as well because uh, studies have shown that the best way to uh, have somebody quit and help somebody quit smoking is both pharmacologically and um, and. Uh, psychologically there's that psychological addiction and that may be uh, a, a social setting where where you know you and your friends are all smoking and you just enjoy the social setting of it or drinking alcohol or, and having to have your cigarette with your drink absolutely mm-hmm. and I, I literally with the morning coffee we heard a lot of people literally just yesterday that. talked mm-hmm. to another younger and this is more typical in the in in younger uh, people that they say well I only smoke when I drink and then you have to ask the question, well, how often do you drink? <laughs> right. You know, that's that can't be your excuse. Um, but so uh, to, to say that, yes, there is a psychological, not just a pharmacological, but a psychological addiction. And initially, that's one reason why some of these e-cigarettes uh, were, were brought out was a way to kind of help wean uh, wean you from the chemicals of the cigarettes without necessarily uh, was still simulating the uh, having the oral fixation or having something in your fingers or uh, just the habits of of stopping work and taking a break and and breaking that stress. Um, you know, ways to fight that. Get a straw. We tell people get a straw. Or Telly get... Savalas, man. You there guys you remember go. Telly Savalas, Kojak? He used to the always. Lollipops. Yeah, the lollipops. And you, if you Google Telly Savalas, for those of you, I'm dating myself. I don't have to because I know what he looked like. I actually watched him on television. But if you remember Telly Savalas, you, if you Google him and you just look up images, you will see that about half the images are him with a lollipop in his mouth. And it was because, so, and some of them are him with a cigarette. And that was one of the things that he said that he did was the lollipops took the place that was during the time when he was trying not to smoke or stop when he actually had stopped smoking. And it was the substitute. The lollipop was the substitute for the cigarette. So I think that kind of goes with what when you said that, Sue, that was the first thing I thought. I was like, oh, Telly Savalas did that very same thing. It's a replacement of one 
behavior for something else because he recognized that that was part of the stimulus. Right. And mm-hmm. it, it, is a, it is that stimulus. It's that finger stimulus, that mm-hmm. mouth, the oral uh, stimulation that she was talking about. What I will say, thankfully, I have never really seen in my practice and in talking with any of my patients that uh, anybody has necessarily stopped smoking but picked up another bad habit. Um, and, I, and I know the, the idea that a an addictive personality is an addictive personality and you're going to be addicted to something. And so you're going to exchange one bad thing for another. But I've, I've never really noticed that with cigarettes. Um, the the biggest problem uh, that I've noticed uh, people complain about is they want to eat. You know, they 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 want to eat more and they gain weight and, and you know, they use that as an excuse. And, and the bottom line is um, at talk to every single patient of mine about this. If you do not want to quit, if you are not psychologically ready to quit and know you have to quit, you're, you're going to fail maybe once or twice um, because you have to be bought and sold into quitting. And then it's still going to be difficult, but you're, you're there. Your mind has to be ready for it. Yeah. And I think the other piece is just sometimes people can use, like so it's convenient right like oh i i don't want to stop smoking cuz i'm afraid i'm going to lose i'm going to gain weight right um and so the other piece is that you know if you if you can quit smoking you could lose the weight that's how i feel like it and it's ultimately it's kind of one of those things it's not a given you can be intentional about it we had one caller when we did our smoking cessation show, show who said hey i got up and ran around the block <laughs> like, and she's yeah, like, she I got up smoke. and vigorously mm-hmm. ran around the block. So, I mean, there are definitely things that you might need to do that may help you build that into like your process for quitting. I think it's about, you know, having some kind of plan and being intentional. And, and I think you have to acknowledge those things, though, that are fears and anxieties Absolutely. that might derail you. And just create some kind of contingency plan for those. Well, and like you said, the intent. Uh, one of the, one of the big keys that people will tell you is you want to set a, a stop date. Set that. Have that intention. Have that stop date. You have to have a goal um, and something to work for. Uh, and then, as far as the running, uh, another. I think one of the best pieces of advice that I got from one of my patients to, to tell other patients was he realized that when he had a craving. What he had to do was he had to take, he had to get his mind off of it for 15 minutes. If he would just find something to do, something to occupy his time, something to take his mind off that craving for 15 minutes, it was gone after that. Hmm. And so you just have to, little tricks, yeah, Yeah, little tricks that you have to figure out. Well, Sue, thanks so much for your call. As usual, um, always giving us some provocative thoughts and questions. Um, and we are going to stay on those phone lines. For those of you who are interested, phone lines are still open. Number is 1-877-672-7464. And we are going to hear from Charlotte, who's calling from Cleveland. Good morning, Charlotte. Good morning. My 33-year-old daughter has had asthma since she was 18 months old. And she sneaked around smoking as a young teenager and then went full-time at 18. Oh, every time she tries to stop smoking, she gets into bad pleasing, and she um, wonders why does she have wheezing. Even her asthma will be well-controlled, and then she gets into severe wheezing and needing the nebulizer. Why is that? Okay, so great question, and it really emphasizes what asthma is. And so uh, asthma, to kind of separate it from... COPD, um, there, there's a lot of the same uh, end results, but asthma is 
defined medically as a reactive airway disease, meaning there's some kind of stimulant that will set the airway off and and make it react. And what happens is whatever that irritant is, and it sounds like, you know, for your daughter, it, it may be whenever she's around cigarette smoke, whether it's hers or somebody else's, uh, or as we talked about before, cold air for somebody, pollen for somebody else, whatever it is that, that sets it off, that irritant, it sets off bronchospasm and basically what that is is it is a spasm of the muscles just like you get a back spasm it is a spasm of the muscles that control the airways and make them squeeze tight and all wheezing is is the sound that your airways make or that the air makes when it moves through a tight pipe so if you think about a pipe think about a flute and think about your your wind instruments when you're blowing air through uh, through any kind of pipe, the tighter the pipe is, the higher the pitch, and and that's what wheezing is. So the the muscles of the airways squeeze real tight. When you're trying to breathe, it's harder to breathe in and out because the airways are tight. And then the um, the sound itself that it makes is is a high wheeze. But Charlotte, did you say that she, her wheezing gets worse when she stops smoking? Yes, when she even tapers off on the number of cigarettes, she goes into wheezing. I mean, she will be, her asthma will be controlled. And then when she uh, tries to go cold turkey or lets up, she starts wheezing. And then she says, Mom, if I smoke just half a cigarette, you know, the wheezing gets better. And, I, but, and she'll do her nebulizer. But she, it happens every time she tries to quit, it exacerbates. Well, I apologize. I, I misheard you there, um, mainly because I expected the opposite. Um, I don't honestly. I don't know the answer to that. I think I would have to sit down with her and talk about that. It it doesn't quite uh, fit, um, you know the the typical medical profile. So I just I there's there should be no reason that stopping the smoking would make her asthma worse. Okay. It could be anxious. It could. So it could. Now, uh, Allie makes a good point there that anxiety can play a role, and there are times um, that uh, what we call vocal cord dysfunction actually mimics asthma, um, especially in young women. Honestly, and um, and what that is is instead of the airway pipes, you're talking about the vocal cords. Uh, which you know that's that's how we talk as we force air past our vocal cords, and sometimes extreme anxiety can uh, can bring out vocal cord dysfunction. Um, I've I've seen it so convincing that that patients in the emergency room get intubated because because they feel like the patient is wheezing so bad and can't stop, uh, and and it turns out as soon as they get intubated. The wheezing stops, and it's because we've we've basically got a tube through the vocal cords, and there's no wheezing anymore. And so, I think that's a good point, uh, Allie. That that anxiety may be playing a role when she stops smoking; her stress level goes up. Okay, and I want to share with y'all uh, a, an asthma management program that I'm using. It's an app called Propella. And they even uh, are going to send me a device to use on my inhalers uh, to help me manage my asthma. And uh, there are medicine reminders and environmental warnings <laughs> like, uh, about what the environment is like in my area. So I, I just want to share that for other asthmatics. That's interesting. Thank, awesome. Yeah, thank you very thank much. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Thank you all. Have a great weekend. 
Um, and staying on those phone lines, we are now going to hear from Sissy, who's calling us from Vicksburg. Good morning, Sissy. Hey there. Um, that actually happened to my daughter as far as smoking and asthma. She started smoking and her asthma went away. And then when she became pregnant, she wanted to stop and had the worst asthma attack ever. The doctor explained that the nicotine actually expands your, your um, not your lungs, but what you breathe through, your breathing tube. And um, so that explained that. And he said her to try uh, to try um, uh, caffeine, not necessarily when she was pregnant, but you know if she was if she didn't have a rescue inhaler, uh, hold her knees to her chest and, and try to get some caffeine in her. Uh, another thing is if you stop smoking by just stop smoke one less cigarette a day, you can wean yourself off. And the third thing is I quit after years and years and years by using ten. 10 milligram um, gum, mint, mint flavored gum, you know, just store brand, and one a day, and I quit in three days. Three days. Wow. So that is awesome. Yeah. We love uh, success I, stories. No matter no matter how you achieve it, the success is, is fantastic. Right. And you don't need nine a day like the package says. One a day was awesome for me. But I had to quit because my blood pressure went sky high when I lit a cigarette for two days in a row and I said that's it you know well Susie, how how um how long did you smoke I started smoking at 13 I quit through three pregnancies but I smoked off and on uh for 30 years or more so have you um have, were you aware of the lung cancer screening uh, yeah, I'm aware of it. Uh, I know I've already damaged my lungs. My friends have quit or going through, they're older than me, but they're going through lung problems now. And uh, I, I don't have to get screened. I know I have lung damage, but... Uh, well, that's not the point of the yeah. screening. So, yeah. Sissy, yeah, please, 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 let me, let me, let me throw this out there, okay? The, the the lung cancer screen this is this is to screen for lung cancer, just like we do with mammograms for breast cancer, um, pap smears, uh, you know, colonoscopies. This is not to determine the extent of lung damage. This is to uh, see because you have exposed yourself to cigarette smoke for a certain period of time that puts you yeah. at a higher risk. And what it will do, the goal is to try to find a a small lung cancer early so that we can uh, treat it, resect it, right. cut it out, get rid yeah, of it before. I will definitely go get that done. But I wanted to ask you about something else. I'm sensitive to all cigarette smoke and even fires, and people burning leaves are just about to kill me every winter. And I was wondering, um, why do people keep getting to use fires and fireplaces when it bothers people? I don't, I mean, a lot of us are sensitive to fires and fireplaces, and wintertime I have to wear, and a mask doesn't keep it out of your airways. I have to hold my breath every time I go somewhere in the winter. Well, and that that itself is uh, the reason that many people want more legislation specifically on smoking in public. Uh, and it's because, once again, why why is one person allowed to affect the health of somebody else? So uh, I feel your pain there. Uh, what you'll have to do is just protect yourself as best you can. Thanks for your call, Sissy. Absolutely. So um, we have just a few more minutes left. Um, 
our phone lines are still open, but we're kind of like in the last three minutes of, um, well, actually, they're not open anymore because um, we're down to the last three minutes. So, um, Dr. Pressler, thank you so much for being with us. Will you um, give us some parting words or some take home messages or things that you think if you had to come up with the top three things as a pulmonologist that you would want the general population to know um, that might help them overall with improving their lung health? Um, what would those things be? So protection on the front end. Uh, you know, don't put anything in your body that that uh, God didn't naturally make to go there. And and this is uh, you know focused on smokers, 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 smokers. I love you guys. I promise this is not a a condemnation of smokers. Smokers are not bad people. Um, and and I think part of the reason it's it's so difficult to address that is because. Um, you know, sometimes um, we feel critiqued and, yeah. and criticized, and this is this is not uh, that you know it does not make you a bad person. Quitting uh, is hard. It is very Dude, hard. Quitting is for, hard for lots of reasons and for lots of things, not just smoking. And we want to beat the drum and tell everybody to quit, but quitting is hard. And, and that's so the thing. we need to and, and give that. We need to let that fall out in the air. I quitting to, is hard. I feel like that's why it's best whenever I have my patients in my clinic. Everybody's different. You know, different people are going to react differently to it. You have to know how to, to react to your patients and and, uh, and what they're going to respond to. So don't start smoking. If you've started smoking, please quit when you can. And then the uh, I can't emphasize enough the importance of lung cancer screening. It's it's encouraging that more people are aware of it, uh, that it exists now. Uh, once again, it's anybody that smoked uh an equivalent of 30 pack years that's a pack a year for 30 years two pa- excuse me a pack a day for 30 years two packs a day for 15 years anything that adds up to a 30 pack year and has smoked uh or is aged uh, 55 to 78 uh, or even if you've quit if you've quit within the last 15 years you still fall into that category please talk to your doctor about getting it's screened so important to catch lung cancer early while Absolutely. it's still treatable and it's so rare to actually catch it early and that's while the, it's still treatable, and that's right? the point about screening yeah. is that it, early on in lung cancer there are no symptoms <clears throat> you do not know it unless it's caught incidentally and so uh, we need to we need to find a way, and that's the goal here, is to find a way to catch it before there are symptoms and before uh, it's an advanced stage. Great message, Joe. Indeed. This has been so pleasant. I'm so excited that you got a chance to come and hang out with us. We were really worried about whether or not we were going to be able to hear from Dr. Pressler. Um, Jez, always, we appreciate you stopping by and imparting your knowledge to our listeners. Thank you this so much awesome. for the invitation. I love being here. I know. And next time we're going to have you by, who knows, we'll just, I don't know, just talk about medicine, shoot the breeze, or maybe we'll have you come and talk about uh, COPD, because sure. that's kind of one of those things. I thought we were going to have a few calls or maybe some questions about COPD, um, and we didn't get a chance to really take a deep dive into that. Um, that's but, why I love coming here, is because you never know what you're going to get to talk about. <laughs> Indeed. It's like a box, box of, of chocolates. chocolates. You mm-hmm. never know what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, guys, you hear that music, so that means it's time for us to go. We'd like to say thanks to everybody who called and listened. Um, we really appreciate your support. Today's Southern Remedy was produced and engineered by Jay White. I'm assuming that our call screener was Michelle McAdoo. I never know, but I always miss that. Um, With Dr. Allie Brown, I'm Dr. Michelle Owens. Thanks for being with us. And join us next Friday at 11 for Southern Remedy for Women. NPR's Here and Now is next on MPB Think Radio.